Hello and welcome to Criticism is Dead, a weekly culture podcast about what we're watching and what it all means, if it means anything at all. I'm Pelin keskin Lu, a producer and writer. I'm Jenin Jijong, a culture writer and critic. And this week we're discussing Riders of Justice and Pig, two films about how men deal with grief. Yes, that's accurate. That's a very clear through line, actually. It's it's very accurate. It's also probably not the last time that we're going to talk about it on this podcast. <laughs> I mean, this is a theme of so many movies, uh, like it yeah. or not. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, until then, <laughs> well, <laughs> how's this week been for you? Uh, this week has been okay. I am like suddenly rediscovering my interest in, I guess, like film, like analog photography. Ooh. Um, from like college i took like one film developing class and stuff like that and then Mm. just like this stuff has been lying around in my closet for a long time including some decade old film Mm. that has expired and will probably be shit but yeah i don't know know that have you have you developed it yet no i need to like find a lab near here that does it this shit is so expensive i was like looking up the price of like new film stock and how to like developing costs and Oh, it it adds up. I know why people like go fully digital now. Like this is so yeah. This is an expensive hobby if one were to pursue this. And like, was it always expensive? I kind of feel like it probably got more expensive the more the digital became yeah rife. I, I think like it's it definitely become more more expensive. Mm. Like, I, like I'm looking up the cost of a film of like 35 millimeter, like a certain kind, like a Kodak portrait, and it, this is like sixty dollars for like five rolls, which is like more than ten dollars a roll and then you when you go to send it for processing you have to pay shipping and yeah i don't know this is and yet i would like to play around with this some more just play around with it it's kind of nice in a way uh but yeah that's me how about you felon what's your week been like oh i've been all right i've been getting eaten alive by mosquitoes um, Yikes! yeah they love me man <laughs> it's really irritating it's the blood right whatever blood, blood type they, i they think love. so i think so and I, it's funny because like i someone told me my blood type like two years ago and i've already forgotten i have no fucking clue what my blood type is but see it's, it's also the kind of mosquitoes love listen petition to make blood type naming a little bit more interesting that so that everybody could remember it because <laughs> literally every person i've talked to has been like yeah i don't i don't remember my blood type anyway um yeah, the the mosquitoes in New York are hench, man. They're so fucking big. They're like, Ugh. I think they're just like spoiled for choice, especially because yeah. their hunting season, I guess, has elongated thanks to the heat. It's still right. so hot in New York. So it's just like, right, cheers. So I've got, I don't know, I've, I think right now I've got seven or eight mosquito bites just dotted around my body. Yeah. Um, One of them's on my ass, which is like, <laughs> great. Um <laughs> Thanks for violating me, bruv. Yeah. Um, but it's all right. It's fine. I just Thanks. kind of, I, I just want to get to the point where they all die. Because, like, if if any species of any insects insect goes first in this, uh, you know, apocalypse that we're currently beginning, um, I would like it to be mosquitoes. I know that the yeah. New York Times just put a hit out on what they call lantern. Spotter, spotted lanternflies. Spotted lanternflies. An invasive species, so please yes. kill one if you see one. Please do kill one if you see one. I saw two before I saw the hit that was put so out. So you did not kill them. So I did not kill them. <laughs> Even though I definitely would have, I just didn't have like my big slipper because they're kind of big. Like they're, they're bigger than they look. Disgusting. So disgusting, and they fly. Ugh, disgusting. Ugh, ugh bugs, man. Bugs. I'm, 
you know, I know we shouldn't wish for mass extinction events, but the bugs in general, just like bugs, ugh. man. No, thank you. They're just uh, uh, <laughs> holding me, holding me back from living my best uh, countryside girl life. I've got to say. Yeah. <laughs> well, fine. bugs aside, uh, what did you watch this week, Pellin? So this week on Hulu, I watched Riders of Justice. This uh, this was on my radar because I watched the trailer like last year or something and it had Mads Mikkelsen in it and he looked really hot and I was like, right, well, I'm watching that. <laughs> um, question before I get into it. Okay. Jenny, have you ever thrown out a full sandwich? <laughs> oh, great question. Um, as anyone who watches this film will, will come to appreciate. Mm. Um, I'm trying to think. I... Don't think I've ever thrown out a full sandwich that Me I've like, per- purchased like in yeah. a shop. I've definitely thrown out some like food that I've made that just turned out disgusting, mm. and I just like in fits of rage when I can't control it. Right, but I don't. Yeah, I guess I'm like somewhat careful with my sandwich choices outside because yeah. I'm like I don't want to waste this, especially not if it's Joe and the fucking juice. Ah, oh, fuck that place. But yes, fuck that agree. place. <laughs> anyway, right. yeah, me neither. That is something that I thought was an interesting observation made in this film. But it will make me sense too. if you watch it. <laughs> if it will make sense if you watch it. So yeah, this film is written and directed by Anders Thomas Jensen, and it stars, of course, Mads Mikkelsen in the lead role as Marcus, a military commander who gets recalled from Afghanistan after his wife dies on a train explosion. And he takes upon a mission to uh, basically to exact revenge upon those that are responsible for the explosion. After Otto, I guess our co-lead, I would say, who is a mathematics professional, I guess, that specializes in probability. He's played by Nikolai Lykas. He finds Marcus and he tells Marcus that there is... A crime gang to blame. So Otto essentially brings in his boys, aka Leonard, who is played by Lars Brigman, and Emmentella, who's played by Nicholas Bro. Excellent name, Nicholas. <laughs> um, so these two, they're just basically like, they become like a comedy trio, essentially. And they're there to help with the tech side of stuff. Um, and then, you know, our, the assembly of our crew is complete. So Marcus is the brawn. The other three guys are the brain, uh, brains of the operation. What did you think of this film, Jen? Wow. I think you picked another great one to talk about this week. And funnily enough, uh, after last week's The Guilty, they're both Danish films. Is that right? Yeah. I I, I want to say that I'm not a Danish uh, secret service agent that's trying to <laughs> spread the good Danish cinema world. But uh, what can I say? It's just, you know, the guys know what they're doing. So yeah, this is where this I'm is- at. This is such a surprising film in so many ways, and it is a film that very easily could be a total disaster, I think, if in anyone else's hands, if, like, with any other cast, with any other kind of writing, direction, mm-hmm. like, just, like, any element, if it were slightly off, it could totally bring down the whole thing, but it somehow congealed into kind of this really incredible film that just, again, I'm left like kind of astounded by it. Yeah. And how, just how it works, how every part works together into this, this like grand symphony of fucking chaos and and crazy craziness. Yeah. If this film will do anything, it's basically take you aback. It is not what you think it is at all, especially not after watching the trailer i definitely thought it was just gonna follow all the beats that we know films like this follow so just as an aside a little bit more context as to what we're talking about marcus's daughter was on the train with her mother she survived and 
the relationship that Marcus has with his daughter is very fraught. Mm-hmm. He has, you know, he is left to go to Afghanistan. Denmark is not the kind of place where you have to go do any kind of service military wise mm-hmm. so it's by choice mm-hmm. and i think she resents him for that and you know once they are faced with this tragedy she wants her dad to kind of deal with it in a healthy and mature way which is to talk about it to grief counselors that are free and sent by the danish state which is also like shout out to denmark one time um <laughs> So he refuses this. He doesn't, he is, wants no parts in talking about anything. He just wants to keep pushing forward. And when Otto brings this plan to him, um, I think he relishes in it because I think revenge is something that he, uh, he knows how to do revenge, right? He might not know how to talk about his grief or whatever, but revenge he can figure out because it makes sense. There is sense in it, uh, in something that is as senseless as losing your wife basically Mm -hmm. so we have seen this kind of film countless times before um it isn't necessarily the the revenge action thriller which you know we have seen a lot but specifically you know the subgenre of the middle-aged man revenge action thriller with regards to someone in his family dying whether it's his wife or his one of his kids like this is very very important you know with john wick it's his his wife dies, but it's his dog, <laughs> essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Taken was probably the first one uh, with Liam Neeson that kind of really introduced it as a subgenre. And like, it's it's enjoyable. It's always enjoyable to watch someone a little bit past their prime, lo- looking a little bit rugged. You know, life has taught them many lessons that they didn't necessarily want to learn, and they just are trying to figure out how to emotionally grapple with it. And violence is one. <laughs> These guys are usually military men or usually ex agents of some kind. But this film, it has the impression of having all those tropes. So it's, you know, the dead wife kid or kid, military background, the assembly of the crew, essentially, even if they're all jokers, uh, a very capable villain. Uh, and the emotionally close like male lead it's all there but this film basically takes apart every single one of these tropes and it very slowly and elegantly it, it, it teaches you a lesson or it kind of says something very true about grief right at the end mm-hmm. uh, in a way that kind of creeps up on you and you don't even realize it's happening what did you think about the comedy? Because it is a very unusual <laughs> sense of comedy. It's, yeah, it's extremely unusual. It's definitely dark humor, dark comedy, but it's, you know, so many parts of the film are, you know, action, you know, it's the the planning, the uh, gathering information, and then you slot in these these personal moments with the crew and Marcus and the daughter. And then as all this is going on and like the trauma and the violence, there are also these, just these, the jokes, the the one-liners, like the things that people say and do with completely a straight face that are so funny, but like messed up funny in a lot yeah. of ways. Yeah, yeah And they, yeah. they don't blink when they say it. Like they don't treat it like with meta humor or something. Like they don't acknowledge it as like whatever. It's just like a, I don't know. It's so, it's, it's really strange because it's stuff yeah. where it's like you could blink and miss it. Yeah. But they add so much to the humor, but it's like completely absurd humor, but stuff that fits in seamlessly and goes unacknowledged by, you know, the characters on a meta basis. So it's, yeah. you could, maybe some people think it's kind of fucked up, some of the humor, but I think it was hilarious and yeah. like so unusual. The whole thing of like, what can you do but laugh? Yeah. Is they take that very seriously. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, you know, what we're talking about 
is especially through the vessel of Lennet, the character of Lennet. Mm. Um, first of all, what an amazing character. <laughs> just, I love him. Like, I just love him. I think he's hilarious. He is, basically, he is Otto's right-hand man that is mm-hmm. super eccentric, uh, played by Lars Brigman. And it starts, it's so funny. It starts off with his observation of a barn, um, of Marcus's barn, which is, true it is so disproportionately large compared to the house (laughs) but yes his fixation on it it, which you learn later like there's a reason behind it and yeah honestly i'll tell you like i this is one of those lines i was like blink and you miss it yeah Um, because i blinked and i missed it and only like going back and reading through like wiki and synopses and stuff i was like oh shit i yeah i missed it yeah so leno basically we talk about grief and like grief is like the biggest theme or the the biggest like touchstone in this film but trauma is also something mm-hmm. that we we navigate and we kind of ruminate around with Leonard and the rumination is not like navel gazy at all it is literally just like you said blink and you'll miss it or it, the mm-hmm. writing is so that you will laugh through it but so with with Leonard he has undergone some kind of sexual trauma and we get a little bit more into it with the introduction of this character, Badashka, who is played by Gustav Lind. And honestly, I don't know what it says about us talking so much about trauma and trauma becoming like a buzzword to the point where it loses all meaning and us getting mm. like fucking tired of it at the moment. But the way that the trauma in this was approached was incredibly refreshing and you know, maybe they should have spent more time on it or whatever, but I don't know what more is to be said about it more than what they did say, which is you see how someone like Leonard, through his eccentricity and through his, like, I guess, joy de vivre in life right now, is still haunted by these things and is still, like, trying to extend sympathy to someone that is going through something similar mm-hmm. than what he than what he might have gone through. I just... I just think it's so, there's just something so smart about it because yeah. of the fact that this is kind of how trauma works as well. Like you live your life every day and it's fucked up, but you are a middle-aged man and you're still having to deal with it. There's a particular scene where he's afraid of getting beat up by Marcus mm-hmm. and, you know, Marcus is chasing after him in a field and he does something that is so it's funny at first, and then it's just really fucking sad. Fucked up, yeah. It's just really sad. And the thing is, like, I couldn't really stop laughing, but I was also so haunted by it. Yeah. And, like, that's that's kind of how trauma is. Like, it is not that it's funny, but it's just the fact that, like, oh, this guy <laughs> through, I don't know, 40,000 hours of therapy that he has gone through or whatever he says still has that trauma response is is you know that's kind of like you just show it you just show what it is and that showcases the the fucked up aspect of it yeah there there's no need to like this movie like they don't force like these particularly like long-winded soliloquies Mm -hmm. or like explorations into like like articulating what each and everything like each and every trauma is or like what what it means to the person so like that it's so clever in how it balances Mm -hmm. like these lines that could be almost throwaway these like little reveals with like just purely showing uh still like the the marks that you know these traumatic events have left on on various characters yeah um it just it's really tight like it's so tightly written and tightly directed and 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 performed it's i 
am like wholly impressed by yeah. how all of this was just put together in such a smart way yeah. that is definitely fucked up, but also extremely funny. Yeah, definitely. With grief. Yeah. Oh, and me- yeah, very meaningful. Yeah. Very, very, like, the, there are thousands of films, if not millions at this point, all around the world about films that cover the whatever, you know, the emotional journey that is grief, right? Mm-hmm. The thing that I liked about this so much was that it dealt specifically, it really kind of goes into, you know, through Otto, the element of coincidence that I yes. think and like fate that, that really does play such a huge role in how you navigate grief especially if you lost someone through a terrible accident yeah Uh, totally and like you especially yeah if if a death occurs before you know you're ready for it and and to a point like no one is like ever ready for death but there's like so much of especially you see this in like through faith and through other things like spirituality you're you're searching for a reason yeah you're searching for some sign from the universe or from god or some higher higher power that like explains why this terrible loss had to occur Mm -hmm. and this yeah this film is so smart about like honing in on that element specifically and and pairing it with like Obviously, Otto's background is like in someone who deals with patterns and predictability and mm-hmm. whether or not things are coincidences. And, and yeah, it pairs out so, so beautifully with what, you know, the people who, who are grieving and who lost someone, what any of them are searching for and like what it says about them, what it says about us that we like kind of buy into this kind of thing too. Yeah. Um, like there's no such thing as coincidence like there's Mm -hmm. no such thing as just a randomness of of life in the universe like everything has uh some purpose behind it uh it's so smart in like picking that apart yeah but you know the whole thing of like if i could just go back in time and slightly change yeah one one part of the chain of events then i would still have my mother is basically what you know what what this kind of film is about Mm -hmm. um it's heartbreaking because it's true Mm -hmm. and you know, to have a conversation with a grieving child and a probability expert about coincidence when they have both lost someone. That scene really is, I, I just want to like have that clip of that scene and just watch it over and over again whenever I'm feeling <laughs> sad because it really is so um, yeah, astute, like emotionally astute in terms yeah. of how you have to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we see it all the time. It's not your fault. Um, nobody's to blame you didn't know like these lines come up over and over again in tv and right but to have someone kind of break down exactly why coincidence is nothing personal unfortunately even though this the result of this is so deeply personal just i love it so much and i just you know the way that the film is bookended by these two scenes (laughs) <laughs> that basically, you know, the the beginning of that chain of events, which is a bike being stolen, and then the end of it, the the bikes are given to the person without them knowing how that how it got there, essentially, and like the all the fucking shit that happened in between the bike being stolen and the bike being delivered. Ugh. it's like it's yeah. like you said, if it was anybody else, this would feel so crowbarred in. Like yeah. all of these scenes would feel so forced. But it just works so well together. Yeah. And it kind of it kind of blows your mind. Like when you think about what you've taken away from this film and what it says about 
fate and coincidence and these these random ties and then you have these bookends and then you are kind of it forces the thinking to a whole nother level where you're like okay that being said you know it is very funny how xyz happened that led to you know abc that led to blah 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 and how you know people were involved in this the gang was involved in this at this level on this level and yeah it it really just like Honestly, the film could exist without those bookends, but yeah. having it there, it really just, it makes you think, or, yeah, or yeah. whatever. It, it just, like, yeah, it, it pushes yeah. it. It really presses the point, mm-hmm. and it just kind of, it's like an element of comfort to have those scenes there, to kind of remind you that, there, that this really is how the world works, and sometimes you can be in the crossfires of it. Mm-hmm. There's something that Otto says to Marcus's daughter, you know, she says something like, well, now that this bad thing has happened, I don't have to worry about anything bad happening again. And he's <laughs> like, well, <laughs> um, no, um, I, d- I can't remember if it was Otto or Leonard that said it to her where he's just like, no, I think, more it, bad- I think it, may- it might be Leonard, right? Leonard? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. During and, their like therapy. Session. Yeah, yeah. That Which was so good. Yeah. He says something like, no, but, but bad things are going to keep happening to you, but also good things will also happened to you and it's yeah. just funny because like i've been in therapy for four years and that's basically the takeaway which is <laughs> which is like it will be a balance it will be good and bad and you just have to figure out the tools <laughs> to figure out how you're gonna deal with the bad mm. um and how you're going to maybe celebrate the good a little bit more than how much yeah. time you spend on the bad so yeah it's um this really is such a unintentionally beautiful film really it's mm-hmm. dressed up in so much aggression and like it's not to say that there aren't any action scenes there are i think mads mickelson handles that fucking gun like a don um <laughs> and you know he, it's very very satisfying when he just like guns down a bunch of gang members like within five seconds he's very mm-hmm. it's clearly a great shot anyway you have all of that dressed up you have the comedy I don't know. There's just like there's just like moments of slapstick, more like screwball comedy, and there's a, mm-hmm. the dark humor all just kind of like pressed in and, in on it. And there's a, it's like this weird potion that tricks you into thinking that you're having a fun time, and then you the film ends, and you're like kind of emotionally wrecked. <laughs> you're like, wait, yeah. <laughs> wait a minute. Um, yeah. I really, really can't recommend this film enough. I think my uh, thirst in terms of wanting to watch this because Mads Mikkelsen is hot uh fantastic hook (laughs) truly such a fantastic hook i do want to give a shout out to him you almost think that his acting is gonna kind of go under the radar Mm -hmm. because this is such a reserved character and he's such a classic masculine man yeah but um there there is one scene that is very very devastating that yeah you remember who the fuck he is you're like oh yeah this is yeah of course mads mickelson is in this what the fuck am i why did i ever think that I would ever not see his acting shine. Um, yeah, fucking yeah. fantastic. Just so good. Uh, so I highly recommend this to anybody that is, I guess, wants to see more films about grief that handle it a little bit differently than the usual drama theory, yeah. uh, like genre, but this definitely takes you aback. And in a good way, I think this is kind of what films are for, uh, to surprise you about the things that you already think about, about the things in life. And... Yeah, man. Go check it out on Hulu and let us know what you think. And for you, Jenny, this week, speaking of grief, (laughs) um, what did you watch this week? So I watched the film Pig, which you can rent on various streaming platforms. 
But this is the directorial debut of Michael Sanofsky, who also co-wrote this with Vanessa Block. Um, this film was released theatrically in July, and I feel like it got a little bit of buzz because of Nicolas Cage, and mm-hmm. just the premise is so fucking crazy. Yeah. Um, but basically, yeah, Nick Cage, he plays Rob, who is basically this kind of like hermit, reclusive truffle forager who lives in a shack in the woods of Oregon with his beloved foraging pig. Um, and one night his pig is stolen in this violent attack and he is kind of forced to come out from hiding to look for her with the help of Amir played by Alex Wolf, who is this kind of a- young asshole who acts as a middleman between Rob and buyers of his truffles. Mm-hmm. Um, so Amir helps him along to the nearby city of Portland uh, where Rob sort of has to grapple with his past and revisit uh, his past and history as a renowned Portland chef in order to try to get closer to the truth of where his Mm. pig is. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. It's also a story of grief and almost revenge, kind of um, more of like that, the plot point of like, you know, John Wick, like looking for your beloved thing that has been taken from you. But it's, it approaches it very differently from uh, writers of justice. I would say not, Not quite to as good of an effect, um, but yeah, I, I don't know. Top line, what what are your thoughts on this, Palin? I think it's a pretty elegantly done film, all the mm-hmm. same. Like, it, 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 I think it's a, it's a bit tough to compare it to Writers of Justice because Writers yeah. of Justice is trying to unpack the tropes that it's trying to approach. Yeah. Whereas I think for Pig, it kind of knows exactly what it is. And it wants to lean into that to yeah. a certain extent. Yeah, it it kind of is like this weird, almost like a parable or like the the things, the obstacles that Rob as the character mm-hmm. goes through when he gets to the city, which is kind of like a rule of threes, like three strange encounters. It's very like hero's journey structure. Oh, yeah. Um, kind yeah. of leaning into that aspect more. Yeah. Um, and in a little bit of in a surreal way to a certain extent. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So question mark surreal. Like he has... An encounter with a an old acquaintance, and then he like goes to an underground fight club, like a fi- mm-hmm. fighting ring for uh, restaurant workers of the city. Yeah, he goes to like this very classy, high class restaurant run by a former, I guess you could more or less call him a former apprentice or worker yeah. of his, yeah. and that's also for like a takedown of this like high figure. And then, like, the final encounters, of course, with the the big boss, like, mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. the big baddie of the whole thing. Yeah. Um, so it does, like, follow this kind of very uh, mythical structure to a certain mm-hmm. extent. But yeah. I kind of wish it leaned into the surreal elements more. Mm. I think it was, like, caught right in between this line of, like, it's absurd enough to make you be like, uh, what the fuck? Uh, yeah. But not quite going far enough to make you fully lean into and like realize and appreciate like okay these are all the fantastical elements that this story is trying to push very clearly yeah the thing is what it is trying to communicate to you and this is i guess a spoiler Mm -hmm. rob is a very famous chef in the city of portland that has disappeared so the myth of it all is that he touched portland with his brilliance in cooking and then just left and there is a reason for that and that obviously entails grief but the 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 disbelief i guess that you have to suspend is that someone's cooking can be that good to Mm -hmm. have that much of an effect 
on so many yeah, people on an entire like industry. Like power, right? Yeah. And don't get me wrong. You know, we, Jenny and I, are very familiar with the restaurant world. Like, we understand it. And we especially understand the importance placed upon certain types of chefs. There's like an inner value system, like an mm-hmm. inner circle value system within the restaurant industry about like what types of chefs are talented and who isn't and who's doing something different. And it's not that they're right or wrong. It, it's besides the point. The thing is that, you know, in the real world, how, how, how much does it really matter? And I'm not sure it does. <laughs> and I think I agree with you. I think it should have been a little bit more surreal because I think it should have really overdone that part of it where his importance as a chef needs to be, I guess, veering more into the fantastical side because really especially in a city like portland i don't know if anybody can really have that much of an like especially 15 years ago people would forget you you're old news these people you're talking to some of them like were children or or like they the memory is not that long no that being said Mm -hmm. i didn't mind it so much i think i think i don't know once you kind of buy into it which is kind of what I did. I bought into the the whole thing that they were trying to say, which is that he was this influential of a person. He had this much of an effect. It was just like, it kind of worked after that. So yeah. Suspend yeah. your disbelief in a certain way. Yeah. Yeah. I think another thing that kind of, I wish that it would have had more that maybe would have convinced me more on that front is like more than kind of these gestures mm-hmm. at what things are supposed to mean. It gestures at at Rob's past, like it has these signs of like him being like this great chef, this renowned like figure. Mm. Um, It gestures at like the tragedy uh, that prompted him to leave the scene, to to hide in the woods. This, um, I guess it's not really a spoiler so much because it's like quite clearly laid out for you, but his wife died. That's like the reason, Mm -hmm. but we don't learn like, who was his wife? Like when? How? Yeah. Where? Like what did she mean to him? Like what? What? What, what was a? What was it about the death that was? Yeah. So tragic or traumatic, or that he he had to completely withdraw from society in this totally kind of extremist move. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 And like even with Amir, the secondary character, you know, he has this kind of parallel track where he has a very fraught relationship with his dad. Mm-hmm. Um, his mother, you know, is not really available in the picture either. But again, we don't get that much more about the relationship between Amir and his dad beyond like a few lines or mm-hmm. like Amir's dad's relationship with his own wife, mm-hmm. like showing how they like fit together. What do they mean to each other? Yeah. That like prompted these major, like that, that drove all this plot in like XYZ ways. Yeah. Those are kind of things where I feel like. Maybe it was some people would appreciate this for like the the as like kind of subtle storytelling, but mm-hmm. I I found it subtle to almost the point of inadequacy, where mm. I don't really get any of the the background things that contextualize what is happening right now. These major storylines, you just kind of fit in the bank blanks, basically. I guess, which maybe if that's the intention, sure. But like the thing, and not to compare it against Riders of Justice, but mm-hmm. like. Riders of Justice, like, the way that they hint at what happened in the past, what motivates these characters, like, what, ex- how, what, how does that explain how they behave and act yeah. uh, today, it does it so well because it, again, it doesn't use that many lines or instances, but it just 
they sort of flesh it out in these quick bursts yeah. so quickly that feels so real and yeah. uh, explains so much of the character's psychology and development uh, and, yeah, how they are today. Whereas this one, they're just allusions to things, but mm-hmm. no actual, like, I guess, like, there's there's no depth to a lot of those allusions. Uh, like yeah. you said, it's a bit more fill in the blank, yeah. which, sure, but something that's so great about, like, movies and, and TV, like, they sort of can fill in the blank for you. They can mm-hmm. give you a little bit more, like, meat and juice to work with. Yeah. So I kind of, that, I think, more than anything is kind of my biggest disappointment with this film. Yeah, I, I get what you mean. I still had a good time, though. That's that's my thing. It's just like, I, st- yeah. I still thought it was, like, a time well spent. It didn't, when I was watching it, it really didn't feel like there was anything necessarily missing. Um, mm. But, yeah, do would I have liked to have known a little bit more about Nicolas Cage's character Rob or about Amir and his dad yeah like it does it like you said it does leave you wanting a little bit more than what you actually get but yeah I didn't regret uh watching this no 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 it was like a a totally fine thing to watch Mm -hmm. uh let's talk about some of the things that you Mm -hmm. kind of liked more about it Pellin um because I did like certain elements for sure Mm -hmm. uh so I'd love to hear you know what things kind of caught your caught your eye as as like good storytelling or good parts of this well it's shot really well um yeah it's really beautiful it's really really pretty and it makes portland look very interesting as a city no shade to portland no shade whatsoever (laughs) listen this is not the first film about the northeast or the northwest um Mm -hmm. that that features an animal you know shout out to first cow first Uh, cow yeah big up first immediately thought of that yeah but um there is something very beautiful about the forests and the nature in that part mm-hmm. of this country. So shout out to that. Shout out to Nicolas Cage cooking. I thought those scenes were fantastic. Mm-hmm. Even though they were a little bit too few. I kind of wished. I wish I had one more cooking scene to be honest. Yeah. Um, this is definitely like a like a food lovers restaurant lover. If you have any kind of in- inclination towards that type of stuff. I, I think this is the film for you. Um, I think the main thing that I liked was Nicolas Cage's insist, like his character's insistence on just not washing himself. <laughs> yes. I was very, uh, I was profoundly disturbed by that because yeah. I was like, please just get this man a shower uh, every single time. Yes. But it just, makes sense at the end. Cause he, yeah. He gives he his chooses face a little to, wash. Yeah. 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 In his own way, in his own setting. Yeah. And I think what I liked a lot was his, tenderness about his approach to being Mm -hmm. a chef i guess like the conversations that he had with his you know with his uh, with his former apprentice and then the conversation that he has with amir's father at the end it's just very tender you know and i think if you value a good meal like a memorable meal the way that a lot of characters in this film do um it's right up your alley like it is very romantic it it approaches a restaurant and the food industry very romantically (laughs) yes very romantically it like buys into or uh i guess like seeks to promote the the romanticism of like how a meal can change a life or how like a a meal can like touch somebody's soul and how food can can have that effect which yeah you could argue whether or not that's true in real life um but this film definitely like leans into the romantic element of that yeah those are the things that i liked i think nicholas cage is great in this film yeah i really like not having a lot of lines especially he does not talk that much at all no 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 not at all shout out to alex wolf and his spray tan 
he or like regular tan i don't know he's like so if you've watched hereditary you know who he is i i think he's i think he's a good actor i think he did the best that he could with this character i'm just obsessed with the fact that he's just like you know a little bit he's like from that category of like a little bit olive skinned ethnically ambiguous (laughs) actor yeah, um, so they they can just like throw him in there and give him yeah. the name Amir. Uh, yeah, and like I, I thought that was wild. I didn't I didn't realize it was Alex Wolf when I was watching. Yeah, this. yeah, yeah. So Max Minghella is also one of those. Oscar Isaac is also one of those. Yes. Like Olive Skin could be anybody. And um, I think my biggest contention with um the plot and buying into it was I don't know how much of a cutthroat business rare ingredient finding is. <laughs> Because like we well, we have these people, yeah. we have these people, especially in New York. We know the people that do this. Basically, like it is like a business. But I don't know how cutthroat. I mean, I know that it's like a little bit nuts. There's some like illegal activity that goes around around with it. But I don't. It's not that bad. <laughs> it's really yeah. not well, that bad. But yeah. anyway, I was I was reading some some interviews and some pieces about this, and actually, like most of the cutthroat stuff in regards to the truffle business, it happens in Europe, like Italy. Um, like where, well, first of all, people nowadays, they use truffle dogs. They don't really use Mm -mm. truffle pigs. So that's like one (laughs) big sort of plot point. But, uh, yeah, most of the stuff happens in Europe. Like you get dogs stolen or poisoned, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, all this sort of backstabbing and a lot of dirty stuff. But in Portland, from what I'm, I've read, like about this movie and, uh, like the context there, like not much of that happens in the Pacific Northwest. People say it's a fairly like close knit community, especially like these truffle foragers. They work directly with like chefs and restaurants and then people would like don't poach from each other mm-hmm. and it's like generally considered pretty civil so yeah. but the uh sarnowski he basically he considered making a film about like european truffle hunting but he was like no i want to do it in in portland mm-hmm. so he kind of transferred over those oh that's uh, i guess more salacious elements yeah but yeah i guess i'll shout out one more thing which is that mm-hmm. i did love the scenes between uh nicholas cage and his pig yes i thought those are really really tender yes. Really, although there are far too few, there's it's pretty much just the opening. Um, you can really see, I guess the 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 bond, the love there is yeah. between man and pig. Yeah, and the pig herself, she is very cute. She's beautiful. She is, oh, she's a beautiful pig icon. Uh, <laughs> this was apparently um her first film role Aww. and also her last because she retired after this what? because her her owner said she got a little fussy and like tired of all the attention. So. <sighs> As of, you know, now, at least according to a variety piece, she will not be acting anymore. But she's a very cute um, Kune Kune, I guess, is like the the breed she is. Mm. It's kind of like hairy little pig. Yeah, like ginger and everything. Yeah, yeah, super cute. Apparently, she is a diva. (laughs) Um, As she should be. I know. This is a quote from her, her owner. So she said, she's just a diva. She knew it from the day she was born. Some pigs kind of like waddle over. She's very just prim and proper and trots nicely. Period. Ugh. Period. What what a queen. I what love this pig. Qu- I love her. And maybe if I ever make a film with a with a pig in it, I'll pull her out of retirement. 
<laughs> please do. I'll go. Please I'll do. bring my agents. I'll just get her to just you know whatever you want, babe. Whatever price yeah, you're asking, I'll pay it. It's fine. Get her. Get her some like I don't know what pigs eat. Like a lot of apples and like the finest apples. Yeah. In the land. You know what? I'll just give her like a full truffle. Like oh, she would love it. You I'm hunt sure. for it. I'll feed it to you, babe. It's like I'm different. <laughs> No, I love yeah. I love her so much. She really is so pretty. Like she's that yeah. snout snatched. Oh, oh, so cute. So cute. This week for culture notes. So you guys would have already seen the results for the Emmys, which are happening. We're recording this on Sunday, so they're happening tonight. And what we wanted to do was talk about our favorite like i guess like talk a little bit about the nominations that we are looking for like the categories that we're looking forward to the most the ones that we think will win the ones that we would like to win personally but the reason why we're recording this is because we want to hear what who who you think should win the fan favorites obviously these are more important we trust our listeners way more than we trust a bunch of emmy voters so <laughs> yes I said that. Um, <laughs> so um, to kick us off, Jenny, which category do you want to do you want to tackle? Yeah. So best limited series is definitely one category where the choices I, I find personally. Um, yeah. And Pellin, of course, loves limited series. I find personally the most interesting. Yeah, definitely the heavyweights are in this one uh, in yeah. this ca- category. So it's I May Destroy You, Mayor of Easttown, The Queen's Gambit. The Underground Railroad, and One Division. What are your thoughts, Jenny? Well, I know which one I definitely would like to see win, which is The Underground Railroad. Mm. What about you, Pellin? Uh, I'm just going to go ahead and rep my set, which is UK Massive. Mm-hmm. But it w- I don't know. I just... I guess The Underground Railroad, too, actually. Do you know why? Why? Because... Did you finish it, by the I way? I did finish it, yeah. Okay, nice. Because it hasn't gotten enough love. Yes, I think that's definitely true. I think it needs it. Um, but the question is, like, will it get love from the Emmys? Yeah, I'd- I could definitely, I could see them giving it to them as, like, a way of, like, being, like, uh, not that it doesn't deserve it, but as kind of, like, the the appropriate move, right? Yeah. Um, a respectable move where it's, like, this is a Barry Jenkins joint that is like yeah. very well directed, very well shot, very well written, everything, but it ha- just has not been. So it's like our duty to like give it to it. But yeah. I'm not sure what would be the popular winner. I feel like the Queen's Gambit is probably what they're going to go for. Mm, interesting. It was just so, it was just so fucking popular. Everybody I watched, like- everybody was watching that show. I know, I know, but it's. Uh, and the Emmys. I mean, I watched all of these, but it's like, yeah. it was fine. It was like pretty good, but like, it's a very traditional, yeah. it's a very, very traditional, good TV show. Mm-hmm. Like, it didn't do anything necessarily non-conventional. It just right. the it just really, really took it up to a much better quality level. Like, don't get me wrong, it's still, I don't mean to downplay it, it's still good, but in terms of, like, filmmaking? Yeah, comparing it to some of the other yeah. ones on this, in this category. Yeah. Yeah. I get you. Yeah. Um, All right. So what's next? Uh, We are going to talk about Best Actress for Drama. Okay. So the nominees are Uzo Aduba in In Treatment, Olivia Colman for The Crown, Emma Corrin for The Crown, Elizabeth Moth... (laughs) Moth. (laughs) (laughs) Elizabeth Moss for The Handmaid's Tale, MJ Rodriguez for Pose, and Journey Smollett for Lovecraft Country. 
Who you got? Honestly, out of these, I've only watched The Crown and part of Lovecraft. Mm. So I don't really have a good grasp on like how these all stand. Um, yeah. I'll just like, I'm not going to choose a favorite, but I'm going to guess that they might give it to Uzo. Mm. Or actually, maybe Olivia Coleman again. Mm. I'm not really sure. So I think they're going to give it to Elizabeth Moss. Because it's Ooh, the last okay. season. Handmaid's Tale. It, that makes sense. That makes sense. It's the last season. I feel like they'll just give it to her to go. So who's your actual, you know, fave on um, this? Olivia. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Um, okay. <laughs> the, the, I've, seen, I've seen in treatment. I think Uzo is great. I think my qualms with her aren't necessarily her. I think it's the way that she's written. Um, mm. I do think Journey should get something. I would be very happy if Journey got this because, you know, I've I've been rewatching Friday Night Lights, as you know, and she's in, in the latter half of, of the seasons. And even though she's like very much like capital A acting in, in everything that she's in, she is not for lack of effort. I think she is, she puts her whole into her acting. So it'll be nice to give her that. But I don't know. I just kind of feel like they're going to go boring and give it to Elizabeth. So, hmm. yeah, maybe, maybe. maybe. All right. Any other uh, categories you wanted to, to take a look at? I do want to do actress in a limited series. Okay. Ma- sure. Michaela Cole, I May Destroy You, Cynthia Erivo in Genius Aretha, Elizabeth Olsen in One Division, Anya Taylor Joy in The Queen's Gambit, and Kate Winslet in Mare of Easttown. All right. Who you got? I think they're going to give it to Kate. Yeah, I think um, so too. As for who I would like to see, I haven't seen Genius Aretha, so unfortunately I can't comment on that. Mm-hmm. I think um I think Michaela Cole probably I would I would like to see her get this mm-hmm. but I, yeah I think it's gonna be Kate I think it's gonna be Kate and I want to give it to Kate as well mm, yeah okay controversial opinion interesting she was good she was good she was good and she she made a she made everything that came out of Mary's mouth like she really made it sing yeah I don't know it was just believable I don't know but yeah that's pretty much it i'm not really interested in any of the actor categories i also think they fucking suck <laughs> no men. yeah fuck men um i'm curious if you think wandavision will get some love i don't think so mm. curious to see if they give the supporting actor award to michael k williams because he is nominated i for think Lovecraft country i i kind of i kind of think they will or yeah they, maybe i should fucking hope so yeah i feel like there should be some kind of you know yeah acknowledgement yeah Congrats to all the winners, uh, whoever they might be. Um, yes. We'll see. Obviously, you guys will know by the time yeah. by the time this episode is out. <laughs> uh, right. But, um, you know. You can you can go to Helen's Twitter to see what she was live tweeting <laughs> at the time that you yeah. hear this. Yeah. Uh, any of her commentary from a couple of days. Yeah, for sure. You know, the world is burning, but sometimes uh, you just need to watch a stupid award show that means nothing to make you forget all of these things. Sure. Everyone has their has their vices and coping mechanisms. Indeed. Um, just a quick touch in. Did you have a favorite look from the Met Gala last week? Oh, hmm. You know, I'm not gonna. I'm not mad at Kim's look. Me neither. I'll say that. Um, yeah, me neither. I, I saw some speculation or some like conspiracy theories. I guess that it wasn't actually Kim in there. Ooh. Um, no comment on any of that, but. I'll say as like a as a statement, you know, not not bad. What about you? Not bad at all. It, she is honestly my fan favorite. Like I, I think technically speaking, many others followed the assignment of the theme way better than she did. Mm-hmm. But 
is my personal favorite. I think it's like Muslim girl energy. So shout out to her. <laughs> do not see me. Do not look at me. Fuck the surveillance, mm. which is so funny coming from her. Um, yeah. My personal favorite has got to be Lee Pace, though, in Tom Brown. Oh, Tom Brown. Really, really outstanding showing. Oh, his, the lengths that these celebrities are going to so you can watch their TV shows, impeccable. Please continue doing it. Uh, I think he's going to be on the <laughs> Apple TV series Foundations, which is going to be coming out mm. in a couple weeks. And um, yeah, I'll be watching. Are you kidding me? I was going to watch anyway. Like I'm a whole, I'm like a personally, I'm a Holt and Catch Fire fan. So yeah, you know, I'll be watching. That's not a problem. Mm. That ain't no problem. Um, but really, Lipe is like, congrats to him every time yeah. he has any kind of photo. Congrats like, to oh him, God. congrats to his jawline, to his legs. <laughs> ah, Just beautiful. a very handsome man. He is six foot four, and don't you ever mm. forget it. <laughs> All right. So that is us this week. Uh, as always, if you think that we should check anything out, um, whether actually like film and tv or just like a funny thing you see in culture please let us know always mm-hmm. our email is criticism is dead at gmail.com or you can uh message or add us at criticism is dead on twitter and instagram yep. uh feel free to check out our Substack, criticism is dead.substack.com if you want additional links tweets uh summaries of everything we've been talking about if you want to stay uh, in the know yeah cool that's kid. a better way to sell it yep. stay in the know um and as always thank you so much please rate and review please tell a friend please just shower us with your very very nice compliments we really enjoy whenever anyone says anything nice about us. we do we really do yeah you have our hearts we're simple bitches that just love to be complimented it's really that simple (laughs) yeah all right thank you so much everyone see you next week see ya bye criticism is dead is produced by pen and keskin lu and jenny jijon Our music is by Rika. Our artwork and design are by Sarah Macias and Andrew Liu. 